Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, so far in our teaching series through the book of Philippians, we've been looking at how this, this big theme of joy, for our joy, how, how we, in so many different angles and facets of, 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 of Paul's letter in the Philippians, we've seen this big theme of joy. And how Paul, the apostle, he's writing to this church in Philippi in the first century with with this aim, with this desire to, to convince them that there is deep and lasting joy to be found in following Jesus. Everyone's trying to peddle joy to us in some way or, or fashion, but, but, but Paul's here to say that no, our, our deepest joy True lasting joy is found in following Jesus. And so we've seen how Paul talked about the joy that we have in Christian unity. The joy that we have in gospel partnership. The joy that we have in, in, in prayer and in service together. Serving with our gifts. He talked about joy in humility. Christ-like humility. And, and last week we saw the joy that, that we can have in, even in holiness. Our growth in holiness. And so we've unpacked these like lofty doctrines and these healthy challenges from the Apostle Paul, some wonderful passages. But then we get to this morning's section, and it kind of reads like a travelogue, right? Kind of reads like a travelogue, like, like Paul's been going on and on about what makes Jesus so great, what it means for us to follow this, this great God and King Jesus who didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a human ser- servant to live and die in our place. And how he's this example of humility and, 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 and of holiness for, for, for us. And how this great Jesus is, 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 is worth worshiping, giving our whole, our whole lives to him. And then here in verse 19, he says, you know, by the way, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. It's like all those powerful passages leading up to this one, and this sort of seems like a sidestep, and he's giving us this just travel update, right? Like no one's favorite verse is in this, in this passage, Right? You kind of notice like how these random verses, just during our, our, our scripture reading, you notice kind of like, how, how, how's this going to work out? I mean, I know you guys pay attention during that part. So, but, but, but before we kind of zoom in 
to this text to see why these verses matter. I want us to first zoom out and I want us to remember that these verses are part of a greater whole, right? These verses are part of a greater whole. Back in chapter 1, we knew that Paul was challenging this church to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live as citizens of God's kingdom is another way of saying that. In other words, we're, we're, we're just supposed to, if, if the gospel is true to us, if we belong to Jesus, then, then our lives should reflect that. And then everything we've read since then in chapter 1, throughout the rest of chapter 1 and in, into chapter 2, has been unpacking what that looks like. So Paul's been expanding that idea of what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so now, Paul turns his attention to these two guys. These two guys that he wants us to see as personal examples of what that looks like. Two guys by the name of Timothy and Epaphroditus. One of those names hasn't aged well, right? Uh, Tim, Tim Streifler, I don't know, oh, he's, he's out of the room right now, but he's, he'd probably be like, yeah, that's true, <laughs> right? Timothy. Um, Epaphroditus kind of sounds like a, like a skin condition, right? <laughs> uh, like, oh, do you still have Epaphroditus? Like, don't, don't, don't touch me just yet. Um, but these guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul's presenting them to us as examples, flesh and blood examples of what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like, it's one thing to say, hey, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, but it's something else entirely to say, hey, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel like, like Timothy. Live like Timothy. Live like Epaphroditus. Or for me, I've got guys like, like live like Bill. Live like Brian. Live like Jen. Whoever it is in, 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 in your life that's a godly example of living life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like this is what Paul is, is, is putting Timothy and Epaphroditus in, in front of them for. And so we're going to have two main points that I want us to walk through. Just first, the example that we see in Timothy, Timothy's example. And secondly, we're just going to look at Epaphroditus' example. So first, let's look at Timothy's example. Now, remember, if, if you're familiar with the writings of the New Testament, you know that Timothy is kind of a popular character, right? He shows up from time to time throughout the, the New Testament. He's like Paul's right-hand man a lot of the times. He's like a son to Paul. In fact, two letters of the New Testament are called first and second what? Timothy. Right? Paul writes two letters to Timothy that are recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures. And, and in the first line of this whole letter to Philippians, we see that although this letter was written by Paul, he addresses it as being from Paul and Timothy. So Timothy's right there by his side when he's writing this letter. They are partners in ministry partners in the gospel in the fullest sense of that phrase. And now I want us to see what Paul has to say about this brother, Timothy. Look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may be cheered by news of you. Now he says he wants to send Timothy to you. Send, send from where? Send from where? Remember, Paul's in prison. Right? Most likely in Rome. And so he's, 
locked up in a Roman prison. And the way that the prison system worked back then, if you remember, is that you, you didn't get food and clothing from the guards, right? The warden didn't have your back in, in supplying for your basic needs. You were dependent on others. So families and friends, loved ones, would have to come visit you in prison to, to give you food, to supply clothing, to care for just your most basic needs, to come visit you, to make sure you don't starve or freeze to death. And at one point, both Timothy and Epaphroditus were, were with Paul. And Paul had to send Epaphroditus back because he got this, this, this nasty sickness, which we'll, we'll read about in a moment. And so, and so Epaphroditus is gone. He's not coming back. But here, Paul says, Timothy's still with me, and I hope to send him to you, he says to this church. Which he says, I hope in the Lord, which is his way of saying, God willing, I hope to send to him to you soon so that I can have the joy of hearing from him how you guys are doing. It's like when Brian and Linda left for their sabbatical recently to, to, to travel, and then we get this, this text from, from Brian a couple weeks in letting us know that, that you know, they had the privilege of, 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 of worshiping with, a, with another just kind of small Baptist church that they found along the way. And, and he texted me, and he said, man, church was great, but like we really miss our church community. How's everyone? How's King's Cross? I mean, they're only gone for like a week and a half, but they're like, how's everyone doing? We can't wait to be back. Like, man, that warmed my heart. I love that. That's kind of like Paul's heart here in verse 19 when he says, look, I miss you. I hope I can send Timothy to you soon so I could, because I wish I could be with you, but I can't. But I love to hear how you're doing, how God is at work in you. And in verse 20, he says about Timothy, he says, For I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And here's the first mark of faithfulness, gospel faithfulness, that I want you to notice from Timothy, is that he has this compassion for others. We see this compassion in Timothy for others. Paul says, I've got no one like Timothy. And then he just says what sets him apart. The rest of verse 20, he says, because he, Timothy, is genuinely concerned for your welfare. That, that phrase literally means he's concerned for your interests. Timothy is the kind of guy who sets aside his own preferences, his own power, his own privilege in the service of others. Paul further clarifies in verse 21, and he says, you know what, for all, most other people, for all, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, look, most people are not like Timothy. Most people are narcissistic and self-centered to the core. If we're honest, that's most of us in this room, myself included. Timothy, Paul says, is he's really set apart. He's sort of this outlier. He says that man has genuine concern for your welfare. And this is a callback, these, these words that he's using, to verse 4 of chapter 2 when Paul said to the church, don't, don't look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Now he's kind of touching back on that idea and saying, look, Timothy's just like that. He's just like that. Um, it reminds me, this idea it reminds me when in, in like the, I think it was the third century when, when this nasty plague swept through the big urban center called, called Carthage. 
Uh, and, and when this, this plague was uh, r- running through the area, like people were leaving the city. They were flocking away from the city. A third of the population got wiped out, and everyone skipped town to save their own lives, to protect their own interests. They get to this point where they started throwing their dead neighbors' bodies out into the street just to, just to, to get them out of their homes, and then they ran away just out of fear of getting infected themselves. But then Cyprian, this African pastor in the area, he helped lead the charge to serve the people uh, that, that were left back in the community. You see, everyone else left except the Christians in Cyprian's church. The Christians, they stayed back. They refused to rest until the dead were buried. They refused to rest until the sick were cared for and the city was eventually spared. That that sacrificial act of service made waves throughout the region, helped Christianity spread after, after the plagues. We'll see examples of like this like throughout, throughout history. We see this with Spurgeon's church in, in the end of the 1900s. His, when, 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 every, when crime was up in London and everyone was taken off and all the churches were like, oh, things are getting too nasty here. We, we should retreat out to the suburbs, out to the country. Uh, Spurgeon and his church was like, no, we're, we're sticking into the ground. God has called us to this place. We're going to set aside our comfort, our privileges, our interests, in the service of others. That's the sort of posture that Paul's commending in Timothy here, his compassion for others. And then he continues, Paul continues in verse 22, he says, you know Timothy's proven worth. His proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You see, Timothy wasn't just like some dude who who volunteered for this religious organization. He was like a son to Paul. He was like a son to Paul, a companion that stuck with him through thick and thin. And Paul, Paul mentions that Timothy had this proven worth. This proven worth. It's this Greek word there, dakimane, which literally means a tried and approved character. His, his character's been tested. And it's this, this picture where, you know, like in Acts 16 and 17, Paul and Timothy are serving together and they're suffering together for the sake of the gospel. They suffered together. And, 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 and Paul is saying, you know, you, you, Paul, Timothy's proven his character. His character's been tried. He's, he suffered alongside of me. And that's the second mark of gospel faithfulness we see in Timothy is, is he's a man of character. He suffered with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Romans 5, it says, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces what? Character. You see, there's a kind of character that can be gained only through suffering. Only through suffering, a kind of character that you can't get from like a book or a Christian conference or a retreat or some podcast. It can only come through just the hard stuff of life. I know there's a lot of you here in this room that I know have endured just intense amounts of pain and suffering over the last year or two. Heartaches, physical pain, 
emotional pain and suffering, anxiety and depression. And this verse reminds us that, that Jesus can take even the, the, the sharpest suffering and the worst injustices and use them to create a type of character in you that you might not otherwise be able to, 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 to grow in without the Spirit's help. Timothy was that kind of man for Paul. He's like, man, man we suffered together for the gospel. He served with me, he suffered with me, and he's proven his character in that. And when Paul says that Timothy is as a son with a father, he says, Timothy has served with me in the gospel. What he means there, he means more than just, than just like, that boy is like a son to me, right? Because when he says that as a son with a father, Timothy has served with me in the gospel, what he's getting at is, is how in the first century, in the Near East first century, the way that you learned a trade or a profession was kind of by following your dad around and imitating him. Spending a lot of time with him, copying what he did, saw how he ran the business and imitating him. And that's the kind of father and son relationship that they had. It, Timothy was a companion to Paul in the fullest sense of that word. It wasn't, they didn't just have this nice relationship. They had a deep partnership. A deep partnership. That's the third mark of faithfulness we see in Timothy is, is, that, is, is companionship. He was a true companion to Paul. You see, there's a good discipleship concept that we see here between Paul and Timothy. Like you learn by spending time together with someone that you want to learn from and, and copying what they do, trying to imitate them. Parents, you know that, right? For better or for worse, your kids will do the things that you do and say the words that you say. It's this model of discipleship that Paul is, is expressing here and how, how, how Timothy had this relationship with them where they weren't just close relationally, but they were partnered in the gospel, and, and Timothy was being trained in the ministry through that. The deep, this deep companionship. And, and, and thinkers throughout the centuries, thinkers both ancient and modern, have, have observed like companionship or friendship and described them in, in, in like one of three different categories. And when we go over these three categories, I wonder which categories your friendships land in. Right? Like the first category is friendships that are based on usefulness. Right? They play a practical purpose. It's this idea that, you know, it's good to have people around you so long as there's some type of practical mutual benefit. You know, like maybe you mow each other's lawns, you, 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 you can borrow money from each other every now and then, right? Like you, you get a ride, have someone help you move, right? It's some sort of practical benefit. And then there's friendships that are based on, on, on what we might call like entertainment, right? Like, like, hey, we have the same hobbies, we should hang out. We enjoy the same foods and drink. We root for the same team. Nothing wrong with that. But thinkers and researchers have concluded that the strongest friendships, the deepest friendships, are the ones that are based on what we call virtue. That means that you have this shared vision of the future. A shared goal for where you're heading. A shared understanding of what is best and what is right, what is true, good, and beautiful. 
And the things that you do together and enjoy together begin to shape around that. The things that entertain you, the, the, the things that you, you do together, the practical things you do together begin to shape around those virtues. And that's what Paul and Timothy had. Paul says, Timothy served with me, he said, in the ministry of the gospel. There's no truer, deeper, more satisfying and beautiful virtues than those that flow from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, me and Timothy, we, we, we have that together. We have that deep companionship. And then he finishes that section in verse 23 and 24 and when he says, I hope therefore to send him, to send Timothy, just as soon as I see how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. Also, Paul's simply saying here, like as soon as I figure out what's going to happen to me next, what the verdict's going to be for me sitting here in prison waiting to find out what's for me next, as soon as I figure that out, I want to send Timothy to you. You see, Paul saw Timothy as an extension of his ministry to the churches. And so he's just eager to send him over to them. Now let's transition. Look at the example that we have in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus' example. Read with me in verse 25. He says, Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, who, by the way, he's the one who delivered this letter to the Philippians. He said, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And we find out in a few verses that, that Epaphroditus actually had like a deathly sort of illness. And so Paul here, he's saying, he's saying he, he's not sending Timothy just yet. He, he'd like to, Paul says, I'd like to send Timothy to you, but I'm not going to do that just yet, but I will send Epaphroditus. I am sending him. Remember, Paul's in prison, right? He's in prison for preaching the gospel, and the only way to get food and clothing was for, to, to have someone who cares enough to visit you and supply for your most basic needs. And what happened was the church in Philippi, this church that, that Paul loves, this church that Paul's got just deep history with, he helped plant this church like 10, 11 years earlier. And that church in Philippi, out of love for Paul, they took up a special offering to care for him. And then they send one of their own, this guy named Epaphroditus, to show up at the prison and say, Hey, Paul, remember me? It's Epaphroditus, your boy E, right? Showing up here, and I just want to say, say we're here to take care of you. They, they sent me with some resources. I'm here to bring you food and clothing. And the plan, most likely, was for Epaphroditus to stay with Paul for some time, maybe until till, till he got out. But then we find out that Epaphroditus got, got sick. And, and somehow, we, we, we see that the church in Philippi found out that he got sick. That's why in verse 26, he says, uh, Paul says, man, Epaphroditus is just so bummed that he heard that you're, he, he's sick and, and now that you're worried about him and so, and so he's eager to come back to you. That's the kind of relationship and, and conversation that's going on here. And then verse 27, he says, indeed, he was ill, in fact, near to death. 
But God had mercy on him. In other words, God healed him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He's, Paul's saying, look like, well, God healed Epaphroditus, showed mercy on him. And when he did that, man, God showed mercy to me too, because I would just be so worried about him if he hadn't done that. And so quick note on that. It's really clear that E-man was really sick, Right? It's really clear. He was really sick. It says he almost died. But then something crazy happened, right? What happened? God healed him. God had mercy on him. Now, was it a supernatural thing, or, 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 or did God in his grace have, you know, medication and, and, uh, involved? Like, we, we don't know for sure, but what we do now is that it was by the grace and mercy of God that Epaphroditus pulled through. Elsewhere, we're in the Bible, we're told that the mercies of God are new every morning. Paul just sees God's grace and mercy just saturating this, 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 uh, this situation and, and sending Epaphroditus back after he's feeling better. And then in verse 28, he says, I am, the, I am the more eager, or we could read that as, I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice, that you, church, may rejoice at seeing him again. And that I may be less anxious. So Paul sends him back to Philippi. In verse 29 he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men. Paul says, look, this Epaphroditus, like he, he was here with me. He cared for me. He ministered to me. He got sick. And so I'm sending him back to you. But I want you to receive him. With all joy and honor such men. And that's, that's an important point to make because you got to keep in mind that, that this, this society that they lived in, in the Near East, was sort of this honor and shame society. And so, the, and so for somebody to get sick on the one job that they were sent to do might, might be something as, as a mark of shame on that person. And so Paul's sending Epaphroditus back and saying, no, look, when you receive him, you need to know this guy cared for me. He had my back. He, he loved me well. He's my fellow worker in the gospel. And so I want you to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor such men. By the way, this is the only command in our passage to honor men like Epaphroditus. Honor men and women like Epaphroditus. There's a call here through this text, from the Lord to, to honor the Timothys and the Epaphroditus's, Epaphrodite, in your life. And so I want us to look now at five descriptions that are given about Epaphroditus that make him worthy of honor that we saw back in verse 25. And we're going to go back through that slowly now. Remember, in verse 25, that's when Paul said, I thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. And so let's talk about each of those. First, he refers to Epaphroditus as his brother, right? This is one of Paul's favorite names to describe followers of Jesus, the Greek Adelphos, brother or sister. It's how he addresses so many of his letters. In the beginning, he's my brothers and sisters. Unfortunately for us, that word brother is kind of like ubiquitous now, right? Like it gets overused in our context. 
In the church, it's sort of the default word you use when you can't remember someone's name, right? Hey, brother. But when Paul uses the word brother, I want you to feel just the weight of just sort of uh, adoration he has for his brothers and sisters. When he calls Epaphroditus a brother, like that means something to him. Remember, Paul was an enemy of the church before he got saved. He was a Jew working for Rome whose sole job was to go around either scaring Christians away or slaughtering them. And now, on the other side of saving faith, he calls these people, the men and women that he used to get slaughtered, his brothers and sisters, he calls them Adelphos. It's this picture that through Christ, man, God doesn't just save us to, to himself, but he saves us into a family, to one another. That through Christ, we've been adopted by the Father into this eternal, this beautiful, forever family. To Paul, we are a family that is on mission together to spread redemption, to spread restoration and renewal to every corner of the earth. To call Epaphroditus uh, his brother, he, he has in mind this change in identity. Paul's recalling the change that has happened in his own identity, but also the change that has happened in Epaphroditus' identity. I mean, Epaphroditus is named after the Greek goddess Epaphrodite. So likely his parents were, were Greek pagans who worshipped the, the goddess uh, Epaphrodite, the, the, the goddess of love and sexuality. And so when Paul calls him brother, he says, this guy's my brother? Man, he's, he's, really, he's, he's really putting on display just this radical change of identity that's happened in both of them. And then I want you to see, he refers to him as worker. He says, Epaphroditus is also my fellow worker. You see, Paul saw himself and Epaphroditus as co-laborers, as fellow workers in the gospel. Now, this is huge once you realize that Epaphroditus was not one of the pastor elders in, in the church at Philippi. As far as we know, I mean, he wasn't a deacon. He wasn't an apostle. He had no formal position of leadership in the church, yet Paul refers to him as an equal, as his fellow worker in the gospel. Paul doesn't assume that he's got some greater dignity or position than Epaphroditus. It's this idea here that, that working for King Jesus, laboring in his kingdom, isn't a pastor thing, it's a Christian thing. For all of us, it's just about giving your life away for something greater than, than, than yourself. Every single one of us, regardless of our vocation, is called to give our life away for something greater than our nine to five. It's about working for the good of others and the glory of God. Like wherever you are, whatever it is that you do, if you belong to Jesus, then your work, your kingdom work, whether you're a teacher, you teach to the glory of God. If you're a first responder, you serve the public to the glory of God. If you're a student, you study to the glory of God. If you're a mom, you wrangle kids to the glory of God. 
in all that you do, in all of who you are, you labor for the Lord, for the glory of God and the good of others. And then he says, he describes Paphroditus as a, as a soldier, as a soldier. You know, the, the, this whole metaphor, the Christian life as, as a battle, as a war, is one of Paul's favorite metaphors to run with. Again and again in his, in his letters, he, he refers to, uh, to, to the Christian walk, the Christian journey as, as a sort of battle. It's this picture that the moment you belong to Jesus, you recognize that not only do you have a new team, a new family, but you also have a new enemy. You also have a new enemy who from that moment, from the moment that you belong to Jesus, from that moment on, that enemy is going to do everything that he can to thwart your growth and holiness. He'll do everything he can to destroy your work for Christ and your witness to the world. That's why another apostle, Peter, says in in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he he warns us, he says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring liar seeking, what does it say? Someone to devour. To devour. There's no DMZ zone. There's no demilitarization zone between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is why from the moment you become a believer, that there's no day that is free of temptation. We fight sin every day in the power of the Spirit, just like Jesus did. We should expect that. And Paul sees in Epaphroditus, like, he says, man, E is a fellow soldier. He, he gets this. He understands that we're in the battle together. We're in the trenches together. And then he refers to him, the next word, as a messenger, as a messenger. Now, that Greek word for messenger, uh, apostolos, is the, that, that's used there is the same word where we get the term apostle or missionary from. It's this idea that a messenger is someone who sent on a mission, sent with a message, sent on a mission. The idea here is that every follower of Jesus is also a missionary for Jesus. You're not just a laborer for Jesus, but you're also a missionary for him, an ambassador given a ministry of reconciliation to to share the good news with others. You see, the lie is that only some people are sent by God on a mission. And they're usually sent to the other side of the world or like some remote island to share the gospel. We call them missionaries, right? But if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, by definition, a missionary, a messenger. You might be sent to Calcutta. You might be sent to Compton. You might be sent to the jungles of Rancho Santa Margarita. But our sovereign God has placed you, called you to a place where the people in your life, your normal spheres of influence, the family, the friends, the co-workers, the neighbors that God has placed around you are people that God has sent you to be a messenger, an apostolos, a missionary of the gospel to. 
God does not make any mistake to the place that He's put you in, the job that He's given you, even the moment in time that you're born in. We are sent on. Jesus prayed in John 17. He says, Father, just as you sent me, I send them into the world. Charles Spurgeon, I love this quote from him. He says, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. If you belong to Jesus, you are a missionary or an imposter. You might be thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but like, I don't feel like I have the gift of evangelism, right? I don't feel like I have the gift of sharing the gospel with other people, but you don't, you don't need the gift of evangelism to just pray for opportunities to share the good news of the hope that you have. You don't have to be the kind of person who stands up and proclaims at revivals. You just need to be the kind of person who reaches out in your relationships with the message of salvation that you've been given with the, the, the well of water that has quenched your spiritual thirst, with the bread of life that has fed you in your hunger, you, you, you're sent to give that, to share that with others. You know what a call, you call a messenger who just never delivers the package they've been given? In my experience, it's a FedEx employee. <laughs> but also, most likely, a messenger who never delivers a package is someone who is what we call fired, right? Out of a job. God has placed people in our lives to to pray for and to share the the gospel with, and and we're called to be on mission to share that message with with others. And Paul says, Epaphroditus, he was was the messenger to me. He he came to me with with the message of comfort and good news from, from you guys. And lastly, he refers to him as a minister, Paul says, to my need. Now, that word minister is not like a professional title of minister, but basically as someone who ministers to another person. Someone who does, carries out some form of ministry towards another person. This, this word carries with it the ministry of the Old Testament priests whose job was to stand in the gap between God and God's people and to care for their needs on God's behalf. It's this word that gives us a, a, a picture of sacrificial service like the Old Testament priests. Ministry in the truest sense of the word is sacrificial service. And Paul's saying, Epaphroditus, he, he, he did that to me. He ministered to me on your behalf, to my needs. In closing, I want you to notice what's not on the list. I mentioned it earlier, but you, you, don't, you don't see the word pastor on there. You don't see the word vocational uh, uh, elder. We know that Timothy was a pastor, but Epaphroditus was just a normal dude, just a layman in the church which is to say that he had no like, formal role or, or position whatsoever. And this leads us into our, uh, we might call it like our bonus point for the morning, which is Paul's example. You know what Paul's example is to us? To just honor the regular faithful people who are making a difference for the kingdom. We see this in verse 29 and 30 when Paul says, receive him, receive Epaphroditus. He, he, uh, he challenges this, this church. He exhorts them. 
to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor men and women like this. Verse 40, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to, to me. And he, he doesn't mean that pejoratively. What he's, what he's saying by lacking in your service to me is just like he's saying in ways that you just weren't able to minister to me because of our distance. Like Epaphroditus was that guy for me. You see, Paul's example to us is to honor the regular faithful people who are making a difference for the kingdom. Look at the list of characteristics that Paul esteems in these verses. That compassion, right? Character, companionship, brother or sister in Christ, warrior, worker, messenger, minister. Again, not the title minister, but just somebody who, who ministers to others. You know what's just extraordinary about these words? Is that they're not that extraordinary at all. They're very ordinary callings on every Christian's life. These are words and titles that every Christian is called to bear. One of the most wicked, wicked schemes to sort of infect the Western church is this idea that only some people are called to full-time ministry and everyone else is just there to be entertained or be consumers to sort of like for like that person's gifts or, or, or that, those people's gifts. But the Bible says the whole body does ministry. Every, every member of the body has a part to play. You guys do the ministry. You guys minister to one another. You sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron, like the warriors that you are. You guys are the ones that show compassion to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, laboring and working together to serve in this church body. That's something that we do together. That's something that we do together. More than being called to, 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 to preach the gospel and be and pastor this church, I have a more prioritized and primary calling just to be a member of this church as a, as, as a fellow laborer, as a fellow brother or sister who we've, we've all tasted God's grace in, in this way. We, we, we do this together. As some of you guys know, I just, just came, came home from um, officiating uh, Nick and Caitlin Shryock's wedding uh, in, in Columbus uh, a couple days ago. And um, and it was it was so cool uh, to, to to just talk to so many other family members and friends that that were like, man, we just keep hearing like, all these amazing things about the, the the people back in your church, back home, and I loved hearing that. I loved hearing it was just evidence of God's grace at work in you guys. Like they they didn't say anything about like, oh man, I heard that like your your preaching is awesome and that you're like a a, a great friend and pastor to Nick and Kaylin. They're like they kept saying like, no, I, we've heard so many things about the people at King's Cross Church, but how compassionate and hospitable you guys have have been to 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 them. And I'm like, oh, well, how do you guys know Nick and Kaylin? It's like, oh, like I'm, 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 I'm her mom's like childhood's friends neighbor. I'm like, and you heard that, <laughs> right? I was so encouraged by that. Just evidence of God's grace at work in our community. You see, we are called to live as ambassadors of the kingdom. Every single one of us, as messengers of the gospel. 
in the areas of life that God has placed us in. We, every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are the body of Christ. No one's left out in that. You are called by God to be a member of the body of Christ. Like, do, do you believe it? Do you believe that your life and your gifts and, and your job and participation here is no less important than the guy who preaches or, or the musicians that play? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. We're, we're, we're called to be a living sacrifice to God together. Who are the people that faithfully serve in these ways in, in, in this church community, in your life around you, that, that maybe just never go, no, never go noticed? Follow Paul's example here and say, look, he, honor those people. Honor those people. Paul doesn't focus on the metaphorical, like, broad shoulders or the bulging arms in the body of Christ, right? Like this, this is Timothy, his son, and Epaphroditus, the guy who got sick. This is the elbow and, like, the knuckle. And Paul says, notice them. Honor them. Honor that guy. We tend to downplay, like, normal, ordinary, faithful service that honors Jesus. But that's a mistake. Like, it's a mistake to just only want the big opportunities or to only want to honor, like, the big guns. I read, I read this story in one of my commentaries this week. I, I couldn't tell you. Like, it was so confusing. It was like he was quoting somebody that quoted something else, but it was like a really good story, so I'm going to tell it to you. But unfortunately, I don't remember who or where this originated from, but I read this story uh, about uh, just kind of illustrating how, how most of us are, like, we're willing to say, like, yeah, I'll lay down my life for Jesus, like I'll, I'll, whatever's the big thing that he wants me to do, I'm willing to lay down my life for Jesus. But most of us, we're not willing to lay down our, our, our lives. What he means by that is we're willing to lay down like the big stuff for Jesus, like the, with, with all the fanfare, but it's the little things, just the ordinary things in everyday life that we're not willing to lay down. And he, in, in the commentary I was reading, he describes it as, as, as it's like saying, you know, God, if you write me a $1,000 check, I will lay it all. I will, I will give that towards ministry. I will give that 100% of it towards some worthy cause. I'll go to the bank. I'll check it out. I'll get a $1,000 bill and give that to, to, to the church. But he says it's, it, it's more like getting a $1,000 check and having the Lord t take you to the bank and cash it out in quarters. And that every single day, you're just called to give out like one or two quarters, just ordinary, faithful ministry for Jesus. You see, faithful Christian living might mean actually giving your, giving your life for your faith like a martyr, and that is absolutely worthy of honor. I don't want to take away from that. That is 150% worthy of honor. But for many of us, like Epaphroditus, faithful Christian living looks more like pouring out our lives one drop at a time. And just ordinary acts of service over a long period of time. It's like giving out quarters every day. Having a person over for dinner, praying for someone who's hurting, visiting with the sick or those in need, just caring for those in your home group. 
That's the ordinary stuff that we're called to be faithful in. And Paul commends Epaphroditus for that. He says, honor men like this. Paul lets us know that Epaphroditus almost gave his life. But earlier in chapter 2, he pointed us to Jesus who did give his life. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.